the traditional way of thinking about it is that probably about 10% of the cost of a construction project is down to weather. And that number is probably creeping much closer to 17% now on average. And actually over the last two decades, the likelihood of more extreme weather has increased by a massive 1500%. And that's not slowing down. We found was that everyone agrees that this is going to be a problem in the next 10 years. There were a lot less people who were thinking that it's a problem now, but all of our data is showing that it's a problem now. And so that's what worries me is that mismatch between where people think the problem is and where it actually is. And when we did our survey, a lot of people mentioned the Met Office, which contains data from 1970 uh, to 2010. And that data will provide you with long-term averages for a few different weather types, as well as the one in 10 thresholds. The problem there being the last two decades have been a massive shift from the original baseline. And so if you're cutting off the last decade from that data set in terms of weather, you're you're leaving quite a lot of room for climate change to have changed things. Um, So you're relying on just basically old data. Um... Josh, hi. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jack. Great to be here. So Josh, just to kick off, for those maybe that haven't come across the, the fantastic work that you guys do at Ehab, would you mind just introducing yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jack. I'm Josh. I'm the founder of Ehab. We've been around since 2019, and the purpose of the platform is to help the construction industry and the the wider built environment adapt to climate change. So the platform is a weather risk management solution that helps at early stages of project design through to tender, through to construction phases. And we we have two parts to it. One is a long-term model, which helps us understand um, at a very granular detail and at a high level as well, your plan and the weather risks that you're likely to face over the one, two, three, however many years that your project is going to run. So that long-term model that we've built leverages a massive data set globally. We run climate trend analysis on that data so that we factor in all of the changes that we're seeing. And that is currently about 93% accurate at predicting weather downtime, even years into the future. The other part of it is short term. So really making sure that we have the best forecast data as possible in the system and aligning that with your plan so that we can provide really accurate weather window warnings to help people shut down pieces of equipment. If there's health and safety incidents that might happen, being something as a of a background piece of software that just runs to help you be more proactive about weather risk. So today we're going to talk all about weather. So I guess maybe just to start it off. How much of a problem is the UK weather to the construction market as we know it? Well, as we all know, it's our favorite topic of conversation. It's something that does impact the construction industry in a lot of different ways. So there's been quite a few reports over the years that have looked into how weather specifically impacts earthworks. And I think there was a massive kind of 300 million pound saving that could have been made if weather was dealt with in a better way just from earthworks. But we look at activities across the construction spectrum. So from lifting to concrete pours, even to when it's too foggy and you have to slow down traffic on your site just because of speed restrictions, it, it, it has lots of different impacts. And so the, the kind of the traditional way of thinking about it is that probably about 10% of the cost of a construction project is down to weather. And that's on average. What we've started to see because of the changes to climate 
across the UK and obviously lots of different ways. Some places are getting wetter, some places are getting drier, what have you. That number is probably creeping much closer to 17% now on average. And actually over the last two decades, the likelihood of more extreme weather. So we the wet weather that's forecasted in the next few days, right? That has increased by a massive 1500% in the last two decades. And, that, and that's not slowing down. So whatever the baseline used to be, this 10% number, maybe it was two decades ago, but we're now facing a, a much more extreme set of problems from weather. So those numbers are pretty staggering. And I, I'm really interested to actually understand what does that downtime actually look like? Does work just stop? Is that the sort of impact that we're talking about here? That, yeah, that, I think there's impacts of all kinds. So one obvious one is we need to do a critical, important lift today and it's way too windy or it's just too gusty and it's not going to be safe to do that lift. And and maybe everything kind of relies on this lift going in before we can then continue doing anything else. And so maybe it's a sunny day or but because of the wind, it's not safe to do that lift. And so we just have to wait until conditions improve. And it may be that is just, the whole day is going to be windy. So that's a day lost. And, and there may be other implications to that as well. Another a classic one, depending on the soil type of where your site is, if you've had some rainfall, it doesn't even have to be a meaningful amount. If you're on clay or chalk and you start to drive in just on the earth in the mud and then it's, it continues to rain, maybe it's one heavy downpour or maybe it's just consistently raining for a, a number of days that can churn up the site so that then moving heavy vehicles and, and equipment and materials can just become compl a complete mess. And, and if you keep doing it, the site is just going to become a, a just, just an absolute mess. And so it makes much more sense to just stop and, and, and wait for those puddles to go before then continuing work. Um, obviously, in the more extreme cases, uh, flooding has, has, has not even been near the site, but it's just flooded access roads or it's flooded the roads that have enabled people to get to site. Another example I already mentioned around the fog element. So I know there's been quite a few sites that we've worked with where it's just meant that they've had to have much slower speed restrictions. And so they've kept consistently having fog in the mornings much later than they were expecting. And so, okay, maybe you're losing a few hours, but you're losing a few hours every morning over the whole course of winter, which can add up to, to days in a program, which you're talking 50,000, 100,000 pounds prelims potentially. So that's just a, a collection of the examples. I think the one that's maybe the most pertinent, if you start to think about climate change, and it's much more around the health of workers, is, is hot weather. So you might think hot weather's great, people with their shirts off getting stuck in. Um, but of course, sunburn is, is a, and skin cancer, the result of that. But actually, every degree over 28 degrees there's a kind of resultant drop in productivity because it's just much hotter. Of course, people have to take more breaks. They have to drink more water. And then long-term exposure to temperatures over 30 degrees starts to have implications on kidney and liver and, and all sorts of things like that, obviously, de depending on your where you're from. And so that can have long-term health implications that we're probably going to start to see appearing over the next few years, given how summers now are. I think what you're describing there really stands out to me because of the I guess the breadth or potential impacts. So it can't be too hot here. We can't really fog is a challenge, rain, groundwater, 
ultimately in the age of sort of climate change and the weather becoming much more erratic, much more unpredictable and extreme, as you mentioned at the start, it really leaves us quite vulnerable as an industry. We do in, we're out on site, we're doing, we're doing work in the real world. So it leaves us so, so susceptible to a lot of these environmental challenges. And ultimately it creates a pretty big risk to the industry, right? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And it's risks in different ways, right? Where summer used to be this fantastic time when you could get everything done. And now maybe not, because um, another example is when it's very hot, a lot of dust gets kicked up. And there's obviously potential environmental implications on local people for that. And so you, you might have to spend money to dampen that soil down with water and, and bring in pumps and stuff. So it, it might not delay your work, but it might add extra cost. And it, it, another example is when a delay might happen for, for whatever other reason, right? Um, that might then shift your work into the winter that you, that you previously hadn't been anticipating. And so now suddenly you've got extra weeks worth of time that's being thrown into that. And I think my final thought really here is we recently did a quite a big piece of research, Jack, where we interviewed and, and surveyed um, over 200 planners and construction professionals globally about their perceptions of weather risk and climate. And the really interesting thing that we found was that everyone agrees that this is going to be a problem in the next 10 years. There were a lot less people who were thinking that it's a problem now but all of our data is showing that it's a problem now. And so that's what worries me is that mismatch between where people think the problem is and where it actually is. And, and that's the, the risk gap, isn't it, that we need to try to resolve to make the problem less impactful. And uh, I was going to ask about that because I'd be really interested to, to sort of understand whether people really recognize the fact that these different weather patterns are actually having a tangible impact to our projects and our schedules. You spoke there about your research. Do, do you think that people are starting to recognize it? Yeah, I think so. A key statistic is whether people think that weather is going to become a top five risk in the next three years. And it's quite interesting. So of course, bear in mind, it was a global survey. People in cooler countries so like the northern europe and you know canada and the us they felt that it was going to become a much bigger risk it was going to become almost 100% of them and, and that ended up being 20 30% of respondents thought that it was going to become a top 3 risk something of a big issue folks in warmer countries where weather perhaps is less of a problem right now so middle east for example where very unlikely to have it's pretty much good weather all the time and if it's too hot you just work at night they were much more likely to say that the impact was going to be neutral or stay the same, or even that it might get better. The, the people who thought it was going to get better were much fewer, usually about nine, 10%. Um, but of course it can get better, right? You might be in a country where it's actually just the warmer weather means you have more working time. So it's not going to be across the board bad, but that's the point that it, it is changing everywhere. And so it's, you want to know how are those changes going to affect me? Can I, are they going to be able to pour much later into winter in terms of concrete, or am I just going to get completely flooded out? Well, sleep. the impact of weather on our construction projects has will have been apparent for quite a while now, but it sounds as though people are starting to really see this tangible impact. How is it currently done? So how do people currently manage and deal with maybe getting rained off today? Yeah. I think anyone in the industry will agree when I say that it, the, the, the current standard approach is 
pretty gut feel. People, of course, have their experience, right? And they can rely on that to be a pretty useful measure. Um, And so in the past, it's been, okay, we've done work in this area of the UK before, for example. When we previously worked here, we had this number of rainy days. And so we're doing a similar type of work in a similar area. We can probably, logic dictates that we might get the same number of rainy days, for example. And that might not be far off. Um, but it, it also might, might be quite far off. That's the point you don't know. And so I think that is a pretty standard approach is to say, what have we done in the past? Let's use that. And, and of course, history isn't always the best indicator of the future. Very rarely, but in some special cases, I've seen people download data and put it into an Excel and try to do some maths and some statistics to try to understand how that might impact their exact activities but that I would say is a rarity and I think when we did our survey a lot of people mentioned the Met Office so they have a report which is basically a PDF that you can get from them which contains data from 1907 to 2010 and that data will provide you with long-term averages for a few different weather types as well as the one in 10 thresholds. The problem there being of course that as I mentioned earlier the last two decades have been a massive shift from the original baseline. And so if you're cutting off the last decade from that data set in terms of weather, you're you're leaving quite a lot of room for climate change to have changed things. Um, So you're relying on just basically old data um, that isn't really aligned with your plan. So I would say in summary, the industry has got a, we know it's going to impact us, but we don't really have a good, necessarily a good way of doing it. So I'll do whatever the quickest way to attach some risk to it is and, and that's just taking some of those numbers and putting it onto the end of my end of date at the end of my end date your points around the fact that weather has changed so drastically over the last two decades i, I think you said at the start it was a 1500% difference over the last two decades so in our industry there'll be a fair few folks that have been working over the last two decades or or more on our sites. So that, I guess, that reliance on own experience is maybe not as reliable as we would hope. So having those new, much, much more like real-time accurate data sets and plugged into the decision-making process, I guess it's going to be, become increasingly more important going forwards. Definitely. However, I have spoken to a lot of people which have said it definitely feels wetter. It feels like we're experiencing more rainy days. But that isn't necessarily a very good thing that you can take to your boss or to your client and say, we need more time because it feels rainier. So that's why you need the data to be able to corroborate your feeling and to provide the evidence that then everyone can agree on. So I I think you're right, regardless of what your feeling is, the data is now essential. And how does this all sit? in terms of contracts. I know that there are sort of risk mitigations and risk protection in and contingencies in contracts, but how does that all relationship work when it comes to the impact of weather? Yeah, I think the one that we've spent most time thinking about and looking at has, has been the NEC, which I think the new engineering contract is, is, is predominantly used in infrastructure, um, which tend to be the jobs that are quite heavily impacted by weather. And it should, the way that the mechanism works, be quite, it's quite a logical approach whereby 
you will the the client will pay time and money if there is a weather event over a kind of a once in 10 year event over the course of a month however that report that i mentioned earlier from the met office which uses data up until 2010 that is where the thresholds for that one in 10 year threshold come in and so if you look at that set of data versus if you just extend it to include up until 2023 2024 you, the, the difference is very big. It can be several days, which is meaningful because several days can, can be hundreds of thousands of pounds, if not millions. And so what is happening now is that probably the NEC contract is over favoring contractors right now, given the way that that information is being traditionally applied. There's lots of other kind of problems with it as well, but maybe I'll leave it. There. I want to just really pick up on that point. So the NEC contracts use weather data that is essentially 14 circa 14 years out of date but in parallel we know that over the last 20 years the weather has changed over 1500 percent surely that that's a massive issue that we're faced with when the data is so out of sync yeah absolutely the likelihood of the type of extreme events happening that are going to cause a one in 10 event to occur. Yeah, it's a classic trope. It's now it's now a one in two. It's now a one in five. What was a one in 10 are now things that will happen every year or every other year. And so what that ends up meaning is that either clients have to pay more and, and there's more delay being put into programs or probably which is closer to reality, they're getting more claims, but they're pushing back against them and trying to dispute them because they're saying this can't this doesn't make sense because it should be a one in ten. They're probably finding ways to 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 dispute that fact. And so that that is obviously not very helpful either for anyone to have these costly things happening. So that I think is a problem that definitely needs to be resolved. I guess a lot of what we've been saying is maybe orientated around short term weather. So okay, it's gonna rain tomorrow. This is the impact on my schedule. Let's do some, let's do some different work or let's just pause completely. Where are we at with longer term planning? I think that's where the biggest issue has always been. I think most people will use the BBC weather app or some other weather app to do their, to, to, to understand how work is going to be impacted in the next few days. It's probably not being done optimally, but, but at least the data is there and available. When it comes to longer term information, it's so, so limited. So you might be able to get some very regional information about climate changes. So you might be able to say, all right, in East Anglia, it's going to be 10% drier in winter and 15% drier in summer. Does that help you? Maybe not. You've got your long-term forecasts, which, you know, three to six months out, which you can pay lots of money for, although they're not very accurate. So you probably wouldn't rely on them in most business use cases. But that's where then there's the kind of there's the probabilistic angle that that is it allows you to do that longer term um, planning. And I think that's something that has been a real gap in the industry. It's really needed because if you've got to think you're, you're doing a three year project, you're making decisions today that are going to be influencing things that happen in 2026. It's very important if you yeah. can to be able to understand, at least have a better understanding than you do now 
as to what the weather could be and how that could influence the activities you'll be doing in that time. Because I guess without that real forward-looking approach, you're then really just left in quite a, a reactive state. So you're constantly reacting to this sort of change in, in weather rather than almost just accepting, yes, weather is going to change. It's going to become more erratic, more extreme. Let's get on top of it. Let's actually build this intelligence into our schedule. Let's, let's get on top of the data so we can then actually make the best, most informed decisions. Yeah, it, it always comes down to prepare, preparedness. The, the, all of the evidence yeah. suggests that if you're proactive and if you have contingency, whether that be financial or resources that can help you deal with things that could come up, that they may not, but they could, then that means that the, the cost of recovering from that event is much, much less. And of course, that because the majority of that risk sits with the contractor, then that equals profit. Your ability to bet that's what contractors are doing all day, every day is managing risk. And so the more information, the better they can manage that risk, which is something, as you've said, everyone intuitively knows is, is going in the wrong direction then that can only help. And, it, and it, of course, it helps clients as well because it means that projects are better managed and so therefore they're, they have a better chance of, of meeting those key milestones. So the answer is clearly use better weather data. But what does that actually look like for the industry? So what is the, I guess, the, what, what does utopia look like when it comes to where the impact of dealing with the impact of weather on our sites? Yeah, I think it always has to be accessible because, of course, the, the, the classic trope of data being the new gold, right? It, all well and good, um, but if it's not getting to the right people at the right time, um, then it's effectively just numbers on a screen that isn't helping anyone. So it, it all really starts with accessibility and, and what are the ways that people are trying to access this information today and can whatever that solution is, slot into that place easily and quickly. I would imagine the, a, a more utopian version of that means that it's integrated into all of the tools that are used today because most people aren't going to want to switch over to something new. Of course, there's always new things to learn, and that's a good thing, but it, it doesn't want to be this massive transformation that you have to drag people kicking and screaming. So I think things that are integrated as a first port of call, of course, it has to include climate change. It has to take as best view as that of that as possible and make sure that it's understandable. Again, it's the accessibility. It's, it's understandable to people because if, if you just literally recreate the numbers that are in a lot of the climate science reports that you can find um, on Google Scholar, it's not very readable. It's not very easy for a non-climate scientist to interrogate. So it needs to be something that's really clear you've got yeah. a much greater likelihood of this type of event happening and this type of event is going to delay your project in these ways and so you need to prepare for this thing and take action on it so it's actionable insights i think the final thing is what can you automate of course it's always nicer if you can get a benefit for either no work or as little work as possible right and i think the age of ai is really opening our eyes to what that can mean and do i think Whatever the utopian version is, it means if it's dragging and dropping a file, you instantly get insights. Or if there's weather forecast happening, you, you know, you don't have to look at it. You just receive messages on your phone, which says 
you're the work pack manager for this crane you need to go and you know we need to shut up because you know we need to close down the crane because there's going to be a wind event that's going to be a a health and safety issue so so that you don't have to think you can just be you can be automatically um knowing that it's running in the background and it will tell you at the appropriate time to take the action you need to to get the benefit it's funny to hear you describe that because it's such a no-brainer to the extent that it's, I almost naively would assume that this already exists within the industry, but it sounds as though actually it's, that there's still quite a big gap to, to go. I, I think luckily what, what we're doing um, at EHAB is, is working towards that vision. And a lot of those things I just said is where we're at with our software Often not from day one. It wouldn't. I'd be remiss to say that we're integrated fully into all of your solutions from day one, just because, of course, security hurdles and that sort of thing. Um, but I don't think it's actually that difficult. It all it requires is trust in the system, and an understanding of that in system and what it's going to be telling me, and then putting that system next to or within the set of tech tools that we currently have available, so that. People who are, are able to can access it and people who maybe don't need to know that it's there and, and it will feed them the relevant information in the background. And so I think um, the work that we're doing with quite a few of the kind of the bigger clients here in the UK is really exciting. Bam Duttle, for example, we've worked with for a very long time and we've really worked in step with them to make sure that this just becomes a normal part of their risk management flow. So it, 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 is, it has as low a lift on people as possible for the highest value. And that I think is just really important. Yeah. And the size of the prize is, is pretty big, right? The, the numbers that you spoke of at the start, it was, I think it was around 17% of, of delays. And so the size of the prize of actually addressing the impact of weather on our construction projects is huge as a total addressable markets go. It's massive, right? It, it feeds into so many things. I know for a lot of people, it won't be the number one cause of delay. But what I've seen is that it's so often a contributing factor and a big driver of the loss of float, a big driver of incremental costs across the whole of the project, which can add up to a lot of money. And so it's one of those things that has remained a bit hidden and a bit buried because it's not a top top three risk but as our data showing and as the perceptions of the industry are realizing actually it's quite quickly becoming that and so if we don't start to take a much more serious approach to it then it will become these big loss events that are gonna really start to take make people take notice with the scale of infrastructure needing to be built ahead of us we've got to get on top of this because having all of these big mega projects and really the sort of the smaller, just as critical projects that are happening day by day around, around the UK. It's, it really is something that we need to get on top of. Yeah. I, no, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more, Jack. And we just, the, the only scary part for me is if we're spending however many hundreds of trillions up to 2050 to meet our net zero targets as a world, how much more is it going to be this year at 17%? By 2030, by 2040, what will that be in terms of the impact of weather? We just, it's just really hard to know. And starting today yeah. to solve it and be, become experts in solving it feels like the only way to go forward. Absolutely.
Josh, thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, absolutely fascinating. And I, I think it, it will definitely open up a lot of people's eyes to almost this sort of this massive, impactful challenge that often maybe goes under the radar a little bit. I'm really sure that it's probably opened up some people's eyes to it. I really appreciate your Thanks time. Thanks so much, thank Jack. You.